This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Clap, 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 clap your hands and stomp your feet. You're listening. You're listening to the Clap Your Hands Podcast. Hosted by Elliot Shore Parks and Kyle Newbeck. Here they come. What's going on, everybody? This is the Clap Your Hands podcast brought to you by Odyssey Sports, brought to you by 94 WIP, and brought to you by the series we have all been waiting for. We all get excited for regular season games, and that's where a fun little preseason opponent to play around with for four games. But this is the moment. Like, these are the pods we look forward to. This is the series that the whole season has been building up to. So we can all agree the most important thing going on. Kyle, congrats on your new house, man. (laughs) <laughs> well, still in the old apartment for the time being, as everyone can yes. tell from the uh, emptyish bookshelf behind me. Yeah. But uh, yeah, closed on a house yesterday, and I will get to move during the middle of the biggest Sixers playoff series in I don't even know how many years. Yeah. So, Ideal we'll timing by you. I will say you nailed the Instagram comment, the nice little Jada kiss uh, quote that you put. I think we all agree when big life moments happen, clearly it's mostly about how many likes are you, you know, churning out of this? So I think you did, uh, you did well with that. Um, but yeah, so Kyle, you're going to be going to Boston as are the Sixers. There was some brief hope. Maybe the Hawks would pull it off. Uh, Trey young, who I said sucked, of course, went and hit the game winning shot. But, um, so anyway, let's just kind of, let's get into everything here. Uh, we're gonna have a lot to talk about today. Joel, Tyrese Maxey, James Harden's out partying in Vegas. Uh, and then we'll probably make some predictions for this series at the end of the pod, but as I think makes the most sense and what everybody is talking about is Joel Embiid and his, uh, his injured knee. I have lots of thoughts on it. I'm hoping you can talk me off the emotional ledge I've put myself on. Um, but you have been at practice, you around the situation. As one of the commenters said, nobody is better with Joel than you. So you are the man to talk to for this. Uh, where are you at, man? Like, what do you know first, before we get into opinion, what do you know? Where are we at? What should people believe of all the reports that have, have come out? I, when it comes to Joel's health, I'm always a big seeing is believing guy. So mm-hmm. in that sense, it's like, well, there's nothing to really believe in at this point. We haven't yeah. seen him other than, you know, rare sightings in a like Zapruder film at practice. We saw him in the, I will say this, even early in the week when he was not practicing and not out there on the floor, we did see him in the weight room using resistance bands and, you know, going through some exercises. So, you know, I actually talked to an orthopedic surgeon this week about the specific injury he's dealing with. And that's, this is something that 
has changed over time in terms of treatment for knee injuries. It used to be they try to keep you off your feet and immobilize you. And what they found is that ends up stiffening up the knee and that actually is worse for yeah. your recovery. So it's it's good to see that he's been kind of moving around a little bit. They're obviously not asking him to go up and down and scrimmage. Uh, I think at this point, we're not going to really know anything until they have to file the official injury report on like Sunday, right? Mm-hmm. Because we're far enough into the week that we haven't gotten anything that they're just going to say, look, we're going to leave them and them as in Boston in the dark as long as we can. Now, I, I tend to think the gamesmanship doesn't really matter. Once Joel's out on the floor, the Celtics have their game plan for Joel. They have their game plan without Joel. It's going to be whatever. But I think it's been a mostly optimistic tone. Uh, I will say when I've written about this during the week, I've had people from the team reach out to me and say, you know, don't go overboard with pessimism, blah, blah, blah. Now, some okay. of that I'm sure is, uh, I don't want to say false valor, but at least like, you know, they're, they're acting. They're not pushing back on it. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. I mean, I think, to me at this point, I would say worst case is he misses game one and then is ready for game two. And we'll see what happens for the rest of the series. I've heard nothing at this point to indicate that his doctor visit that he had on Thursday was a big deal or was a, mm-hmm. a negative deal where they said, oh, he's he's going to be out longer. This is a problem. Um, so I, I'm just operating on the initial He's going to miss a, a bit over a week. Let's call it 10 days, 11 days, whatever it is, and then be back. And so they might have to go into Boston and try to win one without him. But I think based on what I've heard and seen, that's probably worst case at this point. So what's your concern level for when he is back, though? Because I think sometimes we look at this and go, all right, he'll miss game one, which I go back and forth on. I kind of think he'll just play and not be 100%. But I do think... There is a chance he misses. The line for game one came out. The boss, uh, the Celtics are six and a half point favorites. Read into that what you will. I think it's probably a little inflated because of the Joel injury. If you want to, you know, go one way. If it was if it was like 10, then we would probably sit here and go, yeah, Vegas knows he isn't playing. <laughs> but in terms of him coming back and returning, because for me, when this initially came out against Brooklyn and really the few days after, I was, oh, he'll be fine. Like, it just is what it is. I am now at a point where I'm very worried that Joel is going to be severely impacted by this injury when he plays. There's talks of playing with with a knee brace. It's a knee injury. It's every other day now because of how uh, that series played out, if I'm not mistaken. And we already discussed how hard it's going to be to win this series in general. Outside of just when he'll play, do you have any indication, especially from talking to the doctor you did, and for those that didn't read it, it's a good article on phillyvoice.com, very informative. Um, When he returns... What are your expectations of it? Well, that's sort of the thing, right? I don't I don't think I'm going to be ultra concerned about his actual health. Like, I, I think once he takes the floor, that's an indication that he feels good and that the team feels comfortable with whatever amount of risk there is and putting him out there while actively dealing with a knee issue, right? Like, I don't think the Sixers are putting Joel on the floor when it's just like, hey, it's a coin flip and he might get hurt. Right. and what, They're not going to be as, as big as the stakes are. I don't think they're going to be irresponsible with his health. The problem is, like, let's say he's out there and he's at like 80%, 90%, whatever you want to put it at. Yeah, They have needed him at 
Yeah, like 150 percent. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna say it's probably more accurate to say they needed him at like 125 yeah. percent to just even have chances against Boston late in the last two games, both of which were at home. So, you know, they lose both the games on the road against Boston this year. I know that the team has changed slightly with swapping out uh, Thibault for McDaniels, which I saw some things on tape that that might change things a little bit just in terms mm-hmm. of how they space the floor, how things are defended, so on and so forth. But I just think the biggest problem is like he doesn't have and they don't have margin for error because he is by far their best and most important player in this specific matchup. Like there are teams that it's a little bit closer, like Harden can be better and leverage his talents better, or it's a better maxi matchup where if Joel plays poorly, they might have a chance because Tyrese might just score 30 or, or go off. I don't think this is that type of series. I think this series is defined by how good can Joel Embiid be? And that's both ends of the floor, right? Like we've seen in the one loss they had in late February, Joel has a, I believe he scored 41, you know, 41 or 42, I can't remember. And they lose on a Tatum buzzer beater. Part of the reason they lost is because Al Horford hit some big threes down the stretch where he's yeah. got to cover that space or somebody's got to cover that space and they got to get out to him. And that's just something they have to live with. Joel having to be able to cover that space while he's dealing with this knee thing and then hit the brakes, pivot. And if somebody's attacking a closeout, try to protect the rim, that's a really hard thing to do at his weight and his size, even when he's a hundred percent healthy. So, you know, my concern is less like, Oh, he's really hurt. And he's, it's just that he's not gonna be able to do as much. Like if he has a brace on, his movement will be a little more limited. It'll help with his knee stability and prevent, you know, further damage, further issues with the knee. But I think that's ultimately a bad thing on the floor. And so they got to hope that by next Monday or maybe next Wednesday, if he doesn't uh, doesn't get play in game one. So we'll see. So quick logistical question, and then I have a, a larger Embiid point. Um, in the NFL, I know that they will – basically hold this until the last minute, even in the injury report, they'll put questionable and then, you know, inactive 90 minutes before it does feel like in the NBA, maybe, and I could be wrong about this. They, it wouldn't shock me if they just ruled and beat out before game one. Right. I'm curious. How do you think this plays out on when we do find out? Like, do you think this is going to be Monday night? You're in Boston. We're all sitting on Twitter waiting to find out. Or do you think there's a realistic chance that the last time doc talks before Boston, that they go, you know what? Joel is not playing in game one. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not uh, as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Oh, I don't think we're going to find out until 30 minutes before. Okay. Uh, yeah. They're they're going to take this up. Like, I think they'll probably know or at least feel reasonably confident what's what's going to happen as of, let's say, like Sunday. Mm-hmm. I think a day before they'll probably feel pretty good about either Joel's going to play and we feel OK about putting him out there or Joel's not going to play. And we're just not going to say anything. They'll list them as questionable. They'll do the thing that any team in this scenario would do. 
and they'll right. run it up and say, we'll see how he feels in warm-ups and blah, blah, blah. But we're not going to be told either way until right up until the end. Like, look, that part I get. There's there's no yeah. reason to telegraph what you're going to do with him ahead of time. And like I can say, yeah, they're, they're not going to gain much by using the gamesmanship and what have you. Yeah. The less but the it is know, the better. It is different to say 30 minutes before the game, oh, he's playing or, oh, he's not playing. And all of a sudden it's just like, well, now it's Paul Reed and it's you yeah. know, Trez or PJ Tucker Smallball, whatever it is. Like I, I, that part of it, I understand. There's, you definitely should for as long as you can kind of cast doubt over what you're going to do. Well, and I think one com- competitive advantage the Sixers have in this regard is when he plays, and I still think it'll be game one, but let's just say game two, when he plays, the Sixers know more about what he can do than the Celtics will. You're right, the six, the Celtics will be able to figure it out, but the Sixers know and can game plan around what they realistically expect Joel to be able to do, whereas the Celtics really don't know what Joel will be like. We, we, we can sit here, and I think it's fair to say to what you were saying, if he's 80%, what does that look like, right? Do, are, is, are they still going to go to him as a primary scorer? Are they going to try to have him more be a little bit of like the Brooklyn thing where he's just you know distributing from the top? So it'll be interesting to see in that regard, what the Sixers have ready from a game plan perspective on how to use Joel. The, the the concern I have about this is, so last year against Miami, right? He comes in game three and four, very different injuries, but he comes back. He, just being on the court is, is a, a bonus for them, right? They win those games. And then this goes back to what we saw in game three of Brooklyn. We saw in game five and six, but definitely five, that from the second that game started, and I'm an emotional man, so I'm not ripping him for this. But, like, he gets to the point where you just look at him and you're like, oh, man, this guy is – he is feeling it tonight, right? And he is he is just not there. I'm a little worried for a guy that has said, you know, oh, I always finish in second or whatever. That quote was after the Celtics thing. Or this is a story of my life when Tatum hit it. How do you think Joel is handling this? Because this was his year. He wins the MVP. Everything is going his way, right? The Sixers – Look, you know, they oh, we already the- gave him the trophy, by the way. Yeah, he's going to win MVP. <laughs> absolutely. Right. I mean, I would assume. But I don't know. I'm curious how you think Joel is dealing with what probably a lot of fans are dealing with, too. Just this almost shock of I can't believe it's it might be happening again moment. And how do you think he's handling with it? But also, how do you think in these games he'll handle it? Like, I'll be curious to see Joel's mental state when he does return. Well, that's kind of the toughest part about all this. I that's just purely guessing. Like I can, we've talked to Doc and various Sixers teammates of Joel's and been like, what are you guys doing to sort of keep him in the boat? So to yeah. speak, because there is that like groundhog day all over again, feeling where we feel that, like I feel that as somebody covering yeah. the team fans feel that as people who are like supporting this guy and hoping he can lead the team. And so it'd be, I think it'd be completely naive to be like, yeah, Joel doesn't feel that at all. He's completely immune from thinking, no, this keeps happening to me and feeling sorry for himself and so on and so forth. Um, I, I think what you would take solace in is, one, the team around him is just better this year. We've talked about that 100 times. Yeah. Doc has said that publicly in recent weeks. Like, they're 12 and 5 without him. And, you know, they've worked a lot on everything that they do when he's off of the floor. So whether that's, the bench minutes where he's going to sit or he just does not play at all. And they need to do that for an entire game. I do believe they feel more confident in, you know, the group without him and their ability to protect him, so to speak. 
Um, I think if he's on the floor, though, in terms of the strategy and how they use him and all that, like they just kind of have to go full go with him. There's mm-hmm. no, oh, he's just out there as a decoy. If he has to be a playmaker like he was in the Brooklyn series, that to me is more a function of how Boston is covering him. Like that, that has to mean they're doubling him and he's making smart decisions. It's not, I'm in single coverage against Al Horford or Grant Williams or whoever it is. And I want to be Nikola Jokic. Like he has to, when he gets the ball against one-on-one coverage, he has to be quick, decisive, looking to score. Like that's the way to beat this team. They don't have a guy who can guard him straight up anymore. Al Horford has clearly, you know, he's deeper into his career. He's just not as good anymore. And Joel has proven that he can take it to him now if he gets one-on-one matchups. So that to me, it's all about Joel just coming in and you cannot allow yourself to feel sorry. Like you can't be like, woe is me. I can't believe this is happening to me again. You have to own this. You have to look at it with the mindset of I'm the best player in this series. I was the best player in the league all season of at least arguably we've had that discussion a hundred times. I just, I don't think there's any excuse for him. I get the knee is going to be an issue. I think there will be physical limitations that he probably has to deal with that those will be real. But in terms of his approach and his like, play to play intensity his running the floor doing all that kind of stuff like that is on him it's on him to come in here and lead by example and we've seen it a thousand times with this team when he comes in and has the correct competitive fire when he plays max effort when he's engaged on both ends of the floor everybody else on this team tends to follow like that even applies to somebody like james harden who we all know is not a very good or engaged defender even he has had moments this year where when Joel is locked in, James follows the example that he's setting. And so mm-hmm. I, I can't overstate the importance of if he is on the floor, like, look, if you're too hurt to play, that's fine. Like, I'm not going to sit here and be like, well, oh, he should tough it out. He should do this. Like, I'm not in his shoes. I don't feel his pain. But if he is on the floor, this is a no excuses. You got to go out there and give everything you have for this team and not feel sorry no drop in the head, no bad body language, go out there and get it done. And that's my concern because I think even if Joel was 100% healthy for this series, it was going to be so hard to go into Boston in that environment and win. And I think the the frustrating part on top of all this is I think the Sixers have gotten to a point where they are just as good as the Celtics, if not like slightly better, worse, wherever you want to say it, right? I have come around. I mean, they – they played way better in the first round of the playoffs. The Celtics almost got taken to seven games by the Hawks. So the Celtics are not playing their best basketball right now. Not that you can completely write them off because they lost two games. I mean, those things happen. But at the end of the day, they're not playing this dominant form of basketball heading into the second round. My concern is this series was going to be almost feel like the whole time, like you're trying to stop the the snowball from rolling down the hill. You're trying to just hold the dam from, from breaking. And when your number one guy is already in a situation where somewhat understandably, if he comes out for game one and he plays and everyone's super excited, he gets five minutes in and he's like, oh my God, this knee thing is not going well. And you are already probably going to fall behind anyway. My concern for this series, and I'm excited to get to the X's and O's, is can they do it? Can they can they withhold, uh, can they fight back on what is going to be a very tough emotional, like, 
playoff level physic not physicality but mental state of saying all right we fell behind early we're going to come back or joel this has been a very deflating first few minutes for you can you keep going right and they've shown throughout the year they're able to do it again most comebacks in the nba at 15 plus points or whatever it is they showed in game four against brooklyn right they it was not a great first half they come out and, and they still win i just I, I, my worry in my gut of when I decide if they can win the series or not is do I think they will push through when things get tough? And with Joel with a brace on his knee, I don't feel as confident about that as I did prior to this injury. Yeah. And look, so I think to some degree, there's been a lot, way too much focus on like, well, they haven't, the playoff series have gone poorly in Sixers versus Celtics in recent years. Like the last time these teams played in the playoffs, Ben Simmons was on the team and hurt, number yep. one. Al Horford was on the Sixers. Yeah. Joel's dealing with like Josh Richardson as one of his most important players. Like comparing that well. situation, yeah. comparing that situation to now where it's James Harden and it's Tyrese Maxey, it's it just like apples and oranges in a lot of ways. Celtics have changed their head coach multiple times since that happened. Like mm -hmm. a whole lot has happened in that amount of time. Joel has gone up and up and up in terms of his place in the league hierarchy. Like after that season, there were a lot of smart people who were like, the Sixers should trade and beat and build around Ben Simmons. Yeah. That was the last time they played in the playoffs. That is what people were discussing. That's a, a long, long World time away, ago, yeah. long, long time ago in basketball terms. But this season, like many other seasons and, and many other years in Sixers Celtics history, Celtics won three out of four games and were the better team in three out of four games. And that was in spite of the fact that one of those games, they were missing a couple of their starters and Jalen mm -hmm. Brown got hurt in the middle of the game. Like Boston has been the mentally tougher, better team in these moments when they've really mattered. And that is still the biggest question. Like this is a gut check moment for Joel and for James and for Doc and for all these guys. And they have to go out there and prove it because look, they beat this team. They will have home court in the Eastern Conference Finals and the NBA Finals. It is on the table for them to set themselves up for this is going to be probably their best chance to win a title in this era, period. Yeah. Like if you just think about the potential for Harden to leave, the potential for PJ to get worse next year. You're then paying Tyrese Maxey a ton of money on his extension, and that has its own, you know, roster yeah, ramifications. Yeah, there's just like a lot of Milwaukee has been eliminated outright. Nobody in the West is like an overwhelming favorite to even come right. out of that conference, let alone win the title. So you just look at how it breaks, and it's like this is the time to say we have to push through like this is our opportunity you only get so many of these seasons where they were a really good team they've been arguably at least in the regular season they were basically the best team in basketball from december onward and that mm -hmm. is a that's not like a oh they had a good month or two it's very similar to what boston honestly did last year where they were great for the entirety yeah. of, of the last like four or five months of the season the Sixers have been maybe not at quite at that level, but they've been pretty close. And they have two guys who are, you know, big ticket stars that need to be able to be trusted in this spot. So, look, I, I think this is a, a no excuses, lay it all out there type of series. If they lose because Boston was just a little bit better than them, 
that's fine. But the thing that we cannot see is the feeling sorry for themselves. That just yeah. cannot happen. God, it just sucks so bad. Embiid's dealing with this injury. You know, like it just, <laughs> it just sucks. Like it, I really felt like this was going in one direction and it's so closely teetering now to exactly what all the haters said it was going to be. All, you know, at the, all, like in the office at WIP, like friends I have, like all these people that are like, you know, I'm at the, I'm at the owner's meetings in Arizona and I'm talking to, to, to new uh, Knicks fans. And they're like, oh, the Sixers are just going to lose in the second round like they always do. And I was like, no, man, they're different. It's going to blow up. And it, it's just so worrisome. We're teetering on the edge of it being the same thing. So, yeah, I mean, from I think from Joel's perspective, we probably touched all the bases there. I mean, part of the way they can win the series if Joel is 80% is Harden and Maxi. Like, those are the guys. And obviously, Tobias, and they'll need everybody to step up. But the two guys that, A, are both probably going to get max deals this offseason, number one. But like we're brought in for this moment. Maxi not as much anymore, but now he's in that role of what he what's expected of him. You want to talk about Harden or Maxi first, but I'm curious how you think they match up with with this team specifically and how you think their kind of responsibilities and pressure change because of Joel. Well, so we can kind of do both at the same time. I think this is the series that when we talked about the different starting lineups and DeAnthony Melton getting that nod over Tyrese for a while. Yeah. This was the one where you looked at and you said, this is where you fear having to start those two and close with those two next to each other, because mm -hmm. we have seen it before Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. If you just say we're going to hunt switches and we're going to put bad defenders in isolation and attack them, the Sixers are going to get hurt by that. Like that's probably going to happen in this series. I think Tyrese acquitted himself well in, in that matchup with Brooklyn. Had some good possessions on defense against Mikael Bridges, Spencer Dinwiddie, etc. But to be frank, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, a little bit better than those guys. Yeah, and I, I would think quite so. a bit better track record in the postseason than those guys as uh, top options. So that's concern number one. Concern number two, Tyrese Maxey. His career numbers and his this season numbers against Boston are absolutely dreadful, like mid 30 percent from the field. I think for his career, he's averaging like eight points a game against them. Mm -hmm. It's up to like 10 this season, which, oh, wow, whoop de doo He scored 10 <laughs> points a game on pretty decent volume. Well, did he so, have one good game against them? For some reason, I think that average is one really good game and then three terrible games. Uh, I'd have to go back and look, okay. but That's overall, it's been... Yeah. It has been ugly and been really bad for Tyrese. And I think there's some things that I saw on tape that you could say. Some of this was he's in his midseason swoon where he talked about his mental health struggles he was dealing with and mm -hmm. the lack of confidence he had when he's moved to the bench. And there was that whole thing. There are also some spacing issues with Matisse Steibel. Those are cleared up. I think the biggest change and the biggest thing that we'll see how it impacts this series is staggering Harden and having him be the guy leading those second units. Because Tyrese as the guy playing off of Joel, rather than Tyrese as the essentially the bench captain yeah. with the unit of like Paul Reed and Niang and McDaniels and Melton, those are much different scenarios and he's much better equipped to be that secondary attacker off of Joel than he is to lead a group in the way that Harden can. So that's where I'd have a little more confidence in him. But look, this is a really bad stylistic matchup for him and that 
they can attack his defensive weaknesses, whether that's in, in isolation, his size on rebounds. Mm-hmm. And then on the other end of the floor, you have guys like Marcus Smart and Derek White, and then the two wings. Like you put any of those guys on Tyrese, it's just so hard for him to consistently beat those guys off the dribble. And if he can't use his speed, then you become put in a situation where he's got to make shots. He's got to make tough shots too, because yeah. the thing with like Marcus Smart, for example, or Derek White, like those guys can get into his chest and they're still not really fearing him going by them. And that makes it like, he's not getting open threes. He's getting like yeah. hand in his face, tightly contested type threes. So, And it felt like it, against Brooklyn, he got a lot of open threes. Yeah. And, and look, so some of that's going to be, how do they defend Joel? If they're sending doubles at Joel, which they might, depending on how he succeeds or doesn't against single coverage, Tyrese is going to get some of those second side open catch and shoot threes. And certainly if they can get stops, like the defensive end of the floor is obviously of huge importance in the series, his role as like that transition attacker where he can, hurt them with his pace and get down the floor, that's a big, big deal for them because I think half-court points will be very hard to come by for anyone not named Joel. And yeah, it's a it's a big proving ground for Tyrese in this series. Well, and it, it's interesting you end it with that because I, I agree from that perspective. We just talked about Joel's mental state and how he'll handle it. What impressed me against Brooklyn was Maxie's ability in the big moments to step up and just – answer the call when they needed him. And I think this will be another one of those series, right? Because to your point, it is a tough matchup for him. He struggled against this team. And I think if Joel is struggling, Maxie will feel that pressure to maybe, you know, try to do more or those type of things. And I think I feel good about where he's at because he has consistently shown in these big moments. Now, not so much in the postseason in prior years. This year he was he was very good against Brooklyn, but he's shown in those moments that he, he's able to do it. So from from Harden's perspective, you know, we can get into where you're at with him. But, you know, the Brooklyn series, we've kind of talked about it at length. We're really weird series for him. Got to the rim, shot well, played well, just missed basically every layup he took. So against Boston, like what's your confidence level of him of him going into that that game? Other series. <laughs> I mean, I, I wish I could give you an answer that was uh, a good one, but uh... <laughs> I wish that what <laughs> what confidence can you have in him after watching him miss layup after layup in the first round, given his playoff history with all these weird mental checkout games where he's needed to be the guy and his team just like couldn't rely on him. Right. Like the physical stuff. We don't know how good the Achilles feels or doesn't. And, and honestly, as much as we've talked about, you know, this series format ended up helping Joel in a way where they did get the longer layoff coming into it. But if we're talking about the series in terms of James Harden, every other day is not really helping no. him. Like the recovery periods have been big for him. A lot of his best games have been, he gets a couple of days in between, gets to rest up a little bit, and then he's full go again. Now he has had some good games in, in tough spots with fatigue on, on back-to-backs and what have you, but... I, I do not feel great about an every other day series for the first, I believe it's the first six games. It's every yeah, other day. Yeah, the only game seven would be the, the two days off. That is brutal for, for him, for PJ. Now, on the other side of it, it's brutal for somebody like Al Horford, who I think has slowed down some and you know not giving him that, that rest time is a big deal. Mm-hmm. 
even somebody like a, a Robert Williams III, who was pretty much constantly battling, you know, nagging injuries and different things, it's not good for him. So that'll it'll impact everybody, right? Like playing every other day in the playoffs is really hard because it's not easy in the regular season. Then you ratchet up the intensity and all that. Like that's a big deal. But we've seen it for the Sixers specifically. Like Harden, when he does not have that that recovery time period, it has been a big struggle for him at times. And so for him to come off that first round series that he had where he had some big shooting moments, but otherwise just like could not get anything to drop. Yeah. To then throw him into this series where, yes, he had the long lead in, but now he's got to produce every other day for you know, a week and a half or whatever, that's a big ask on him. So I actually feel pretty good about Harden and maybe I'm just minimizing the missed layups. It certainly is a concern and it's not great, but I would feel much worse if we were going into the series going, man, he was unable to get by Mikel Bridges and he was unable to get to the basket because that was my biggest fear, right? So this is almost kind of a new concern and maybe that's why it's not impacting me as much i think if he can shoot at the clips he did against boston that he did or sorry if he can shoot as well as he did against boston as he did brooklyn that would obviously be huge um i think he did a good job just like running the uh you know running the offense type of thing and i just i feel like the layups will start to fall maybe i'll be wrong but i just i refuse to believe that he's just gonna shoot what is it 20 percent from within five feet or some absurd stat like that it was I, not good i don't know what yeah, the final was, number was right so <laughs> i refuse to believe that is going to to keep up so i'm feeling a little better about harden than maybe it sounds uh like you are heading into the series and you know to the point i made a few a uh, few minutes ago but i'll reiterate this is why you got him like these moments are why you got him right this is why you trade for him. This is the series or these are the first two games or, you know, really the whole series. But especially when Joel, we know either won't be playing or will be definitely, we think, hobbled. Like This is where you go out and earn the max deal. This is where you go out and show this is why it's helpful to have a number two guy. This is why it's helpful to have a player we all felt maybe, you know, probably should have been an all-star, right? So, yeah, I mean, you're, you're going to need a big game out of Harden uh, for sure. Um, another question I had for you about the Celtics was, unless do you have anything more on Harden to Maxi? No, I'm I'm kind of drifting towards the role player stuff at okay. this point. All right, well let, let let's go there then. Um and these are kind of the same questions I guess, but I think there was a perception throughout the year. I know I was in this camp that the Celtics are just way better than the Sixers and they're not going to they're not going to beat them, right? We're not making predictions yet, but I'm curious when you look at how well the the Sixers role players played against uh, Brooklyn, right? Like Toby was great. PJ was what everyone hoped. Maxi was awesome. Like they got the good role players playing. How much do you put into Boston's struggle against Atlanta? And so from both a role player perspective and overall roster, but do you think these teams are even are more even now than maybe we thought prior to the beginning of the playoffs? I would say I don't even really care about either first round series, honestly. Okay. Like, so did the struggle against just, Atlanta mean nothing to you? Not that they mean nothing, but I just think it, it's such a matchup centric style in the playoffs that you you can take things and say, like, I keep bringing up Horford, but you can say, okay, Horford didn't look good in space and on switches. That's something for the Sixers to potentially exploit, right? You use Harden and, and say. We'll let Harden just attack him over yeah. and over again, or or maybe Tyrese or whoever it is. But that's something that you say we can translate that to our series. But in terms of like how many games it went or their performance, like a lot of that Boston Atlanta series is that they didn't take the Hawks very seriously. 
nor did they really need to. They, they still ended up winning in six despite not playing that well. The Sixers, to their credit, you know, took the professional approach and played hard yeah. and whatever, but they played probably the worst team in the playoffs. If they're not the worst um, team, they were right yeah, there. I would agree with that. Especially they're at the least playoffs. in the conversation. Yeah. Like, I, I think if you have that team play over a full season, they're a play-in tournament type team. So. Well, we can definitely say the debate about if you'd rather play the Heat or the Nets is uh, we can put that one to rest after yeah. after that series. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, look, I think some of it carries over, but you have to look at more. The Sixers were worse than Boston in the four games they played this year. Yeah. That, to me, means more than the other things. Um, the one thing I wanted to say that I brought up the role players, I think – a is this your Derek could... White moment? Is this your no, no, no? Uh... I'm talking about from the Sixers' perspective. <laughs> I, I think the reason maybe you feel more confident this go around compared to you know 2020 or 2018, like the Sixers don't just have a lineup of guys who the Boston Celtics are looking at and like, oh, we're just destroying that guy. Like yeah. we're putting him in a, we're going to put him in a ball screen and he's fucked, right? Like. Yep. They had Marco Bellinelli and Ursan and JJ Raddick and even like Robert Covington, who I was a big proponent of, was not a good like man isolation mm-hmm. defender. You go back that far. Now you have a bunch of like switchable athletic guys like Paul Reed as a center, good switch defender. Jalen McDaniels, a big and long switch defender. DeAnthony Melton, big and long switch defender. George Niang is like the one role player coming off of their bench now who you look at and say, well, he might not be able to play in this series. But if that's the case, you just don't play him. You could play yeah. you play eight guys. You could have House come into the rotation, play like 5, 10, 15 minutes, whatever it is. Like They don't have to play the Bellinelli's of the world. Like Their offense and their success is not predicated on having a guy like that in. Now, the flip side of that, P.J. Tucker has to make shots in this series, right? His defensive value to this team is pretty significant in this type of series where you have multiple wing players who are going to hurt you that you're going to need him to take stretches of the game where he's checking Tatum or he's checking Brown. Like, they're still at a disadvantage there, but he's going to lean on those guys and he's going to battle and he's going to fight on the offensive boards to make them work there and things like that. So – He's got to make shots to be able to stay on the floor because if he's not making shots and then you have to live with, like, let's say Niang to space the floor or McDaniels, who's a less proven, you know, this is the first playoff run he's ever been on. He's going to go into, I still tell people to this day, and this is not a disrespect of um, Sixers fans in the playoffs. The loudest arena I've ever been in is still the garden in Boston during the playoffs. Mm. Like those people are used to, playoff basketball and playoff moments in a way that you know not many fan bases in all of sports are like this is one of the most successful franchises in the history of the league so they just are they understand playoff basketball and the moments and the runs and they rise to like every single run the celtics go on you feel like the building is going to fucking collapse upon (laughs) itself and so you throw a guy like mcdaniels into that kind of situation like you don't know how he's going to respond. So I think PJ's success in this series and his ability to hang on the floor in big moments as a you know a shooter and things like that, that's going to play a, a gigantic role in whether they can take this series to six or seven games. Well, and also, you know, I mocked the, you know, PJ's a dog. He's got, like, this is the series where you, you say, okay, we have a player like PJ, not just 
in his ability to to step up and be ready for the moment and win the loose balls and hopefully you know shoot better but also let's be real like this is the whole season if, if they lose both in boston the chances of them winning this series are extremely slim there are going to be moments in games one and game two where it is going to feel like things are not going well and in past years we've seen this team crumble to those moments in an extent pj is not responsible for making sure Joel plays hard or James Harden's fully engaged. It's not his job, right? But it is part of the resume. It is part of the reason you pay him, right? So I'll be really curious in those moments where you'll be there in Boston. It's really loud. They go on a 7-0 run. Maybe they go up 13-3 to to start game one or whatever. I'll, I'll be excited to watch PJ and see what he does and see what he's like in the huddle and what he's doing and those type of things. So, But to, to the role player point overall, they, they, they need people to be special. They need players that are going to say at the end of this series, wow, you really got more from him than you thought. Like you, you couldn't play Niang. And because of that, House ended up coming in and giving you quality minutes. So when you did play Niang, here at you on defense, but give credit, man, he stepped up and made a lot of his shots, right? So Toby, another guy, if Embiid's going to be hurting on offense and Maxi has matchup problems, Toby's probably the best ISO player they have at that point. If Embiid's struggling and you know, obviously the perimeter thing, right? So they're going to need guys that just flat out have to play better and have to have special moments. Like I, I've covered championship runs with the Eagles and I know it's not the same, but the reason we look at those seasons is we go, man, Nelson Aguilar, he didn't have a great career, but he led the team in catches in the Super Bowl, right? Or, or things of those natures. Like this is the moment and this is the series where if they win it, we're going to have those stories to talk about and those things to remember because it'll be the unexpected guys. And that's, that's how you win because I think the Sixers have the best player in the series. I think if Harden can make his layups, man, like he can be just as good in a way. As it's Jaylen so Brown. insane that that's like, that's what I'm saying. It's, and that's why I kind of don't take it seriously. Cause I almost just can't believe he'll keep missing layups, but, but who knows? So yeah, I mean, I just, I look at this and I go, are they ready? Are they ready for this moment? And I, I think we'll, we will find out. I, I think if they lose the first two in Boston, it's going to be very hard to win it, obviously, because you'll be you'll be down 2-0. But I also just think how the, how those games play out will show us so much. If they go, man, if game one starts and they lose and Embiid does the whole pouty Brooklyn thing, and like that'll just be such a deflating moment for this team and this fan base if that's how it plays out. And so I think, obviously, you have to win one in Boston, but I also think it'll be such a good immediate test of is this team ready for the moment well and to that point about role players stepping up like you almost never see it's not like you go into the playoffs win a title and it's just like the same eight guys just play right. well the entire way it's always like this series was better suited for this guy and this yeah. guy and this guy and like even in playoff series that they lost i i feel like we talked about the 2021 hawk series more than any series on this podcast so far but like <laughs> game two they had gone down one nothing game two they very well could have gone down two nothing to atlanta and who knows how it plays out from there shake milton who had gotten sent to the bench in favor of tyrese maxi in the playoffs comes out and has a huge moment in that game and essentially swings the game and, and they end up winning game two and you know yeah. then it becomes a real series again then tyrese maxi comes back into the rotation late in the series and was I don't know if he was their best player in game six, but was basically the biggest reason that they won game six and sent it back to Philly after that horrific collapse they had in game five. So like, yeah, every night is a different challenge. It, it goes back to what Harden said before the playoffs. When you win 
you feel like you're never gonna lose again when you lose you feel like you'll never win again yeah. and like you have to manage that roller coaster on an individual and a team level and look we have I feel like we've been fairly pro doc on this podcast, but uh, yeah, he he is as much on trial here as Joel and James and everybody else. Like this is his moment to stand up and show the changes, the tweaks he's made, the more aggressive adjustments, the confidence that he's shown in Paul Reed to stick with him in tough moments. All that stuff does not matter if he's not willing to do it in the series that matters the most. Yeah. And so. He's done a good job. He did a good job in the Brooklyn series. Has done a good job up to this point. If he does not stick to what has gotten them here, and he either is too stubborn or is too aggressive in the other direction, none of that's going to matter. And we're going to be talking about who the next Sixers head coach is in yeah. you know a few weeks or so. Well, I think that's what's both awesome and terrifying about this series is we can sit here, and I still believe. You know, if they lose, it's not a you have to blow it up situation, whatever. Like this season, in the eyes of many and in the eyes of potential decision makers, will decide almost everything. And it's almost so unfair in a way, but it also, it just is what it is. Like how this plays out, how they look is going to completely dictate to your point, this could be their best chance to ever win a title, right? If they lose this series, we'll talk in the offseason about, you know, Dame Lillard. You know, we'll, we'll throw ideas out on where they could be better. But in terms of Milwaukee's gone, you're looking at an Eastern Conference final of either the Knicks or the Heat, right? Which, look, the Heat, you know, is what it is. They clearly just win in the playoffs, but you would think they would beat both of those if they just beat Boston. Phoenix is scary, but Phoenix is a new team and, you know, all those things. So this is it. It's like this is their chance. And it, it's it's terrifying how much it could really impact things if, if they don't win the series. So to wrap this up before we get about, before we talk about the viral James Harden clip that uh, is going around now, I'm curious what, uh, so let's, let's just, I guess, make predictions is where I'm going. Um, what do you, how do you think this plays out? You called the Brooklyn series in terms of how it played out, how you thought it would look. We've talked about throughout the pod, but to kind of put a bow on it, where are you at with the series? How will it play out and how many games does it go? And who do you think wins? I'm picking Boston. Like I, I don't know what form the series is going to take because I, I think I'd be doing a disservice to myself and the listeners to be like, I know this, this, this is going to happen because right. we don't know what Joel is going to look like. Like that's, it's literally the single biggest possible variable there could be coming into this series is the best player in the in the series on both teams. Is just a complete question mark. We don't know what he's going to have to offer. And by extension, we don't know how Boston will try to cover him because it's going to be a feeling out process for them too, right? Like they they want to do a certain thing against him, but they want to do a certain thing against him assuming that they know what he looks like, right? And, and yeah. he looks like the guy that they played in the regular season. If he is just like an ordinary guy, then yeah, they'll probably just single cover him. They'll dare him to beat them. And the Sixers go down in a quiet five games, maybe. Mm. I think because he's hurt in these first couple of games, I agree with you that almost has like a psychic mental lift. They need to get one of these first two. I know that like, look, they're great at home. They're a very good team, all that. The Sixers are, I'm saying. But yeah, to, they got to get one of those first two because you need – you're expecting Boston to throw a counterpunch too, right? Like they're a good enough team that they could probably come to Philly – win one of those two games. If you're down three to one after four games, like 
wrap it up. You're not yeah. going to win. You're not going to win three straight games against this team to close out the series. At worst, you have to come out of the first four games two two. I don't think it's impossible, but I just think that's that's such a huge ask for a team that has Joel in this state. So I just think if Joel was fully healthy, I might have skewed further toward I think the Sixers can win this series because I saw enough rewatching some of these games where they switch Joel on these actions. They don't concede the open threes to Al Horford. And then Tatum's got to try Tatum or Brown or whoever has got to try to win, you know, one-on-one matchups. I'm not that scared of those guys attacking off the dribble. Like if Jason Tatum hits a ton of, you know, 24 footers over Joel Embiid or whatever. Great. You tip your cap. You say that's awesome. And you're a great player and you deserve to move on. We haven't really seen that from Tatum in the season series. Like Joel has done a pretty good job against him on switches. They've done a pretty good job as a team defending Tatum throughout the season. What they haven't done is stay home on the other shooters. They've allowed the other guys to get going. And, you know, I just, I don't see that changing. I think at this point of the year, we see they're an overhelping team. They're too aggressive cheating off of guys. And I think Boston's got enough guys to make them pay in that respect. So as much as I would like to be the uh, the pro Philadelphia, pro Sixers yeah. guy and, and, you know, have the adulation of the, <laughs> the fan base, I just think this is probably Celtics in six, maybe seven games. And we're going to be having a lot of tough conversations about the team in the off season. Well, I'll take that adulation if you're not going to take it. Um, no, <laughs> here's where I'm at with it. When they beat Brooklyn in game four, I tweeted, I thought the Sixers would beat the Celtics. And I did that because of course it's in the moment, but also I think there's a little bit of this series like perception versus reality. Right. And I think the perception is this team is set up for failure again and beat is hurt. And it's easy to get emotional about that. Right. And that the Celtics are way better than the Sixers. If you look at it, they're like minus, I think, 250 to win it, maybe even minus 300 to win the series. Um, and that's how I felt all year. Right. But I also think the things that are concerning about this series are also things that I've been worried about all year and fans have been worried about all year. And the Sixers have consistently proven us wrong about that, right? So let's talk about the mental part of it, which I have, like my gut is worried about this series. The gut of Elliot is sitting here and going, oh my God, here we go again. But I also felt that way in a lot of games this year that they came back and won. And I know that's not the same thing, but if we're if I'm going to be concerned about the mental of the team, I also have to be honest and say, they have passed a lot of mental checks this year, right? Embiid played terrible in game three. They won. They fell behind in game four. They could have packed it in. They won in this in this regular season, fell behind a lot early, came back and won those games. So I think that even though I understand the concern and I get the the fear of it, I think maybe this team might be tougher this year than we're giving credit for. And so I'll say that I think they'll be tougher than I think. I think with the Joel injury, he will play in game one, in my opinion, and we will see what type of player he is. But he would have to be so bad for it to to really, I think, change the fact that he's the best player in this series. And he is the biggest matchup problem. He has stepped up against them. He just did it against uh, he did it against Boston. And if we're going to be concerned about Embiid versus Boston, a Celtics pod pod could be sitting here and saying Tatum's been bad against the Sixers this year, or at least not as good as he normally is. So I look at it and I go, 
I think Boston's not playing as well. I do put more stock in their struggle against the Hawks than you do. Maybe I'll be proven wrong about that. But when I look at the fact that they didn't play great in that series, they did take them too easily. But to be fair, if we said that about the Sixers, we would say that's a flaw on their part, right? We would sit here and go, they didn't take Brooklyn seriously. It's a sign that they're not a serious team. Here we go again. They did take Brooklyn seriously. They did win games without Joel. They did have guys step up. I see that from the Sixers, and I don't see that from Boston right now. So if Joel was 100% healthy, I would confidently pick them to win this series and say they're the better team with the better player that's playing better, and they've answered my concerns. The Joel injury to me is concerning, but he'll be out there and he'll play, and I, I can't completely switch my pick because of it. So I think Joel will play. I think he'll play well enough. And I feel like they'll finally get over the hump this year. And so I will pick them to win this series in six games. You have much more confidence than I do at this point, but I will say this. I agree with you. I agree with you in the sense that like people probably overstate the, like the edge that Boston has because they've just done it already. They've done it before. This is a team that's gone on deep playoff runs and that can look, you can, they can go either way. Sometimes it gets undervalued, but as we saw with the Bucks, like the Bucks were, oh, they've won a title together. They have this veteran yeah. core. And then Jimmy just undressed them. And all that series was really about was that Miami had the best player on the floor for the five games that they played. And that was it. Like sometimes all it takes is having the best guy and everything falls into place behind that. And Look, if they if again, if Joel was healthy, then that's where I would say, yep, he is the MVP. He's the dude. He's the guy. Like he is the difference maker that changes the entire complexion of this series and this matchup in a way that he was not able to in the past. I just think because he's coming in and we don't have a, a firm grasp on what he has to offer, what his limitations are, and all that, I just can't have any confidence that the rest of this group is going to be able to pick him up in a way that takes them past this team. I like, I hope that I'm wrong because I would love to finally cover the yeah. conference finals instead of a bunch of second round exits. Exact That'd be cool. Stories we always do. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be cool for me personally and professionally. Um, but I just, I don't see it. I, I, I hope that he is in better shape than we're being led to believe or that we can tell as mm-hmm. of right now, but I just can't bet on that. What I'm going to bet on is the uncertainty just undermines them. And the team that was ever so slightly better than them in the regular season is going to be slightly better than them when it counts in the playoffs. And I I think that is a fair opinion to have. I do. Uh, I agree that it's more of a 50-50 series. And I think either of us would have thought a few months ago, and you can do that as a win. Um, But here we go. Like, here comes a series. So before we wrap this up, I did want to get one little rant off my chest. Will everybody just shut up about this Giannis quote? It's unbelievable. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Like he sits up there. They just lost as a one seed to an eight seed. It's like the sixth time it's ever happened. And he goes on this whole, well, you know, sports is about a journey. And blah. And yes, there's truth to that. And I give him credit for being, being able to put himself in that mental state. I don't want Giannis to feel shitty about himself up there. But then also for everybody now to do this whole like quote tweet of Giannis and be like, this is a great attitude. I'm going to show my kids this, blah, blah. Well, your kids should be like, well, uh, daddy, like, why is he talking like this? What happened? It's like, well, son, he was a one seed that lost to an eight seed that was a play in team. Right. So the end of the day, I look at this and it's just like, 
bro, what are you talking about up there? I just, I hate the whole, the way it was talked, the way it was handled. His season's obviously a failure. There's no debating it. It was a failure. He can say that. And I think Jordan, to his point, would probably say the season he didn't win finals, uh, didn't win championships, he would say that they're failures. I guarantee you he would say that. So just the reaction to it was like, I could, I wanted to tweet about it so many times and I finally wrote and delete a lot, but I was, it was like the, it was crazy to me how that was discussed. It's just such a predictable, gullible sports writer thing that the guy gives like the, it's such a cliche and it's like, again, I'm not, I'm not even picking on Giannis here. I think that's genuinely how he feels like he's trying to process the loss and, you know, his career and what have you. And I I think that was coming from his heart. Like, I don't think this was a a disingenuous answer. I I just think it's bullshit. Like I think to look at that series and see in overtime, there's a jump ball with like six seconds left. Giannis gets the ball and almost throws the fucking ball out of bounds to the announcer because he's scared of missing free throws because he's yes. like 10 to 23 at the line or whatever he was in that game. Maybe so he's looking how that played out and be like, oh, that's not a failure. Oh, like can't blame Giannis. Well, well he was hurt. But it's like, right. Like it's the same thing I said about Joel with the mental stuff. He's out there. He is on the floor. Like we can say, yeah, it wasn't an ideal series for Giannis. He's dealing with the back problem, whatever. Once you put yourself on the floor, you have to go out there and produce. That is your job. And for Milwaukee to be this like, oh, they're the title favorite and they're the best team and they have the best record and all this. And to lose in five games to a team that barely made the playoffs, that lost a play-in game and then still barely (laughs) made the playoffs in that form. For anybody to trot out, though, that wasn't a failure. And, oh, what a great answer. Like, Come on, man. How many I, I, fucking yeah. nerds have penetrated sports media <laughs> that we have to pretend like this guy? The Again, people think he's the best player in the league, the best yeah. player in the world. To lose to Jimmy Butler and the eighth seed Miami Heat is an unequivocal failure, period. Yeah. Well, it also shows how much winning impacts how people talk about you. Because if he never won that title, and it, like, oh they, my god, let's say Joel the said apocalypse, that. right? If Joel, <laughs> if they lose to the Celtics, and Joel comes out and goes, you know what, guys, you think about it philosophically. Every year we're improving, and every year we're trying to get better. He's gonna get ripped to shreds for that. Although now, maybe honestly, if I'm an athlete, I would say that every time now. If I'm ever asked after a loss, I'd be like, well, if you remember, Giannis said it's a journey, and blah blah blah, because we've all agreed it's an acceptable thing to say, apparently. But yeah, so I just or even you know, like not even guys. There are guys who have won who would not get as much slack for. Like think about if LeBron James oh, was God. the one seed yeah. in the East. And lost to an eight seed in the first yeah. round in five games. The takes on that series and on his response would be absolutely unbelievable. Well, it's a way it's a way worse playoff loss than Joel's ever had. Like not even close. The Atlanta series was pretty bad. At least it was seven games, I guess. Yeah, but, but at least, but I mean, they weren't a one seed versus an eight seed in the first round. They were a five one seed, though. They were, and but it, the Hawks weren't, right? What were the Hawks? They were. The Hawks were four or five. I think okay. they're five. I think the well, Knicks no, no. were four. I can't remember. Um, All right. You have any takes on the Harden video? Um, For those that it don't was know, kind of a nothing video. thing. Like if it happened yeah. in Philadelphia, nobody would care. It's just like. Bro, why are you in Vegas? Yeah, that's a little weird. I couldn't tell if, so for those that don't know, there's a video of Harden where he's standing outside of like a bar or a club or something. And he like kind of like 
almost playfully smacks this guy. And I can't tell. It didn't seem like super serious, but yeah, I to put a bow on everything, it's just more fuel for the haters if they lose. Just, just. Oh, it's like, yeah, James Harden haters, spent yeah. part of his week off in Vegas. And exactly. According right. to TMZ, who I don't yep. know better than they do on this, this was <laughs> Monday before uh, they were back at practice and what have yep. you. So he's been at all the practices, he's been engaged or whatever, but. It yeah. just it's like it feeds into the whole Harden doesn't actually care about the right things this time yeah, of year. Exactly. And... Joel's always hurt. Harden doesn't care. They're always losing the second round. Like all that's up for grabs right now. So go out, make me look good, make Kyle look like a hater, and win the series. So we can uh we can finally do some conference finals pod. So I get um, called a hater after being like one of their biggest boosters all season. I know. I'm gonna Trust I'm gonna me. be distraught. Trust me, I, it, the, the internet can be a fickle place sometimes. Um, but thank you to everybody that's still listening. Very much appreciate it. Uh, we will be back with a, a, another pod, certainly after game one, but hopefully before then, if not. Um, so thanks for listening. Make sure you hit that auto-download button. Make sure you leave those five-star reviews. Uh, it really helps the pod grow. So, Kyle, I'll talk to you next time. See you soon, guys. <laughs>